We can just talk about how pissed Katie is that I fucked up her island. You just shook my money trays Katie, I'm going to give you all of my money. How do I do that? You can have my Nook miles and my money. You sound like a piece of shit. I can change them into cash, can I? Welcome, everyone, to the Four Corners Crimecast. My name is Jake. My name is Rory. I'm your host, Katie, and today we are talking about missing persons of Rocky Mountain National Park. Ooh, going to lighten it up this week. Yeah, after last week. And so, where did you do your research here, Katie? Okay, this is my favorite book I've ever read. It's Death in Rocky Mountain National Park, Accidents and Foolhardiness on the Continental Divide by Randy Meinter. And this book has two covers, right? Just to fit the title on it? Mm-hmm. Foolhardiness. Foolhardiness. It's about um, people that were either murdered or died in avalanches or went missing. That's all foolhardiness. So okay. I don't know where the foolhardiness comes into isn't, play, but... Isn't foolhardiness like you're like roughhousing on the edge of a cliff and you fall over? type things and that foolhardiness i guess it could be considered foolhardiness i'm not sure which part he didn't specify which part of the book he considered the foolhardiness now do do we have any other sources on this one katie yeah i used some old newspaper clippings that i found on the coloradoan.com and unfortunately snippets of david politis's presentation given to mufon la february 19th 2013 which i found on the ufo and paranormal research society's YouTube channel. It was titled Bigfoot DNA and Missing 411. Okay, so here's the thing Bigfoot about is Bigfoot real. is that potentially there could be a Bigfoot. There could be a giant cryptid society with enhanced magical power known as the forest people that live in the woods in places like the Colorado Rockies or in the Grand Tetons or up in the North Pacific Northwest near Mount Hood or anything like that. They can just live there without being trampled or seen or anything like that. On zip lines. Yeah, but do you think David Politis was really the first one to find DNA for them? No, I don't. I mean, there's potential that that could be real. I didn't say that it was, but wasn't he the first guy to get probed by an alien? No, he was actually a police officer, right, Kitty? For 20 years, yes. Huh. Sometimes they do crack. (laughs) (laughs) What? So before we start, I just want to say that these are obviously not the only missing persons cases in the Rocky Mountain National Park, which is in... Northern Colorado on the Continental Divide. There's no actual official record of every person who has gone missing in all of the national parks, as David Politis will tell you, but you can access recent cases on the National Park Service's cold case files on their website at nps.gov. And do we know why there is not a record of every missing person that goes missing in parks? There are so many answers I could give you to that question, but no. Officially, I do not know. I I think it's district to district. They all kind of kept record themselves, and it never got basically transferred to the NPS officially. Oh, okay. So there's like backlogs and things like that? I'm sure there is, yeah. But if you ask Politis, he's going to tell you that it's a big conspiracy and there's something deeper going on. Well, I just want to say there's a lot of cliffs, and people fall off cliffs, and that happens. It's hard for someone to find a body because they can't make any noise you can whistle at them they're not going to whistle back so it's really hard for location if you know five six days later the snow is six feet deep you can't find a body up there yeah you got to whistle immediately because that's how people can hear you yeah as soon as you're then you're risking lying on the ground you gotta hit hit that pitch so they can triangulate you know i don't know you risk no that's terrible advice don't do that all right katie why don't you start us off 
During the 4th of July weekend in 1938, four-year-old Alfred Beale Hart's parents brought him and his nine siblings to the Rocky Mountain National Park to stay in a cabin. So they had ten kids. Yes. Catholics. I thought Mormons had the ten kids. Well, this was before Mormonism, right? <laughs> Dude, you're from Utah. I don't know. <laughs> really, Rory? No, now you're just giving that one person on iTunes reason to be like, well, if he doesn't know when Mormonism started, how can I believe anything he says? That's true. But no, this is uh, my my mom used to travel cross country with her family, and there were like seven children and two adults. So that's like nine people. That's and, different than 12. Yeah, but they were, they were probably Catholics. You can fit nine people in a standard station wagon. 12, you got to go for the, like the two on the roof or put them as mud flaps. I think um, this was 1938 and there wasn't access to legitimate, reliable birth control. So you just think it was someone who just had a lot of kids because they had a lot of sex? Because they were married, yeah. yeah. Okay. In the early morning of July 3rd, Alfred's mother noticed he had a blister on his foot. Before leaving for the day, she bandaged it and changed him into a pair of new canvas shoes. Around 8 a.m., they left the cabin, planning on spending the day fishing. As they walked along the path in a single-file line, Alfred's mother turned and noticed Alfred, last in the line of 12, had disappeared. Was he the youngest of his siblings? I don't know. So these people were just duck marching through the forest trying to get to a fishing spot. I assume that's the most efficient way to lead Oh yeah, children. down like a little sheep. They immediately began searching before notifying park rangers who began to search the river, the most likely place Alfred would have disappeared so quickly. The only thing they uncovered during the first day was a single child's leather shoe, not a canvas one like Alfred had been wearing. By the second day, over 200 park rangers and police were searching the park. On July 5th, bloodhounds were brought in from the Colorado State Penitentiary, who were able to pick up Alfred's scent, followed a mile and a half down the river before hitting a dead end. Based on the dog's trail, searchers believed Alfred had fallen into the river, so they built a dam to divert the water and make the search for his body easier. Once all the water had been drained, they only found a bare riverbed. After digging through mud and moving boulders for five days, it was obvious Alfred's body was not going to be found. Further down the river, a wire net had been installed before Alfred had gone missing that would have caught his body had it made it that far. To get there, his body would have had to pass through five beaver dams, which were dynamited to ensure his body was not trapped inside of one. What if they just blew up his body in one of the beaver dams with all this Looney Tunes shit? Um, I think you would know if you dynamited a body. A small body? Well, I don't know. Dynamite always seems like it blows up huge. Maybe it's just little bombs. Yeah, I think it more or less just broke the beaver dams up. It doesn't, like, shoot stuff out of the the water. Um, I have a feeling they probably got out of the way when people were in their dams putting dynamite in it. Is it possible that the dogs were mistaken, or they had picked up a wrong scent, or tracked something that smelled, had contaminated the smell of Alfred? More than likely, no. Usually they're pretty, especially bloodhounds, they're pretty accurate in what they... There's been a couple, I can't remember which case it was, but they used dogs to track them, and they tracked them to a campsite that they had been to like a year before that and hadn't been back to. So their noses are Top reliable. Yeah. Okay. As long as it's not Bruce, he got a broken sniffer. He's, He's not, not a bloodhound. He's got a broken sniffer. He could be a bloodhound if he didn't have a broken sniffer. With no luck in the river, searchers turned back to the forest, hoping an even more detailed search would yield results. This is unconfirmed, but David Politis of the Mutual UFO Network, or MUFON, claims that bloodhounds were brought back in to search the area where Alfred disappeared. They followed his scent 500 feet uphill from where his parents were and lost the scent. This would mean Alfred would have had to have walked 500 feet in front of his parents and siblings when it said he disappeared from the back of the line of children following behind his parents. How credible is this MUFON you speak of? 
Rory, I'll let you take that one. I don't think I so want Rory's I, I answer. I don't think him speaking or being part of MUFON discredits him completely as a witness at all. Um, and the reason I say that is because he does have 20 years of police experience under his belt just because he happens to have a certain set of beliefs towards cryptids or potential beings on other planets and things like that or unidentified flying objects or whatever he's into i don't think that discredits him as a reliable yeah when there's ufos confirmations the man may be a bit wackadoo but (laughs) that just happens Uh, you heard it first wackadoo but that happens On July 8th, five days after Alfred had disappeared, a man named William J. Eagles reported seeing a small child in the mountains while hiking with his wife. Early on Sunday, the day Alfred had gone missing, he and his wife had stopped to rest and spotted a child sitting on a rock far up the mountainside. Some reports say he made a shrill noise before being jerked out of sight like someone had grabbed him. Now, I'm going to go ahead and then say that's probably just one of the people of the forest trying to help him find his way home. They are a very kindly vegetarian mythical creatures that roam around these parts so on zip lines they could make magic zip lines if they wanted to yes that's how he went so fast but i know you do, the thing about that is they wouldn't need zip lines because they are strong creatures capable of moving very fast faster than the human eye is capable of capturing on film jake I yeah, but how did you get? How they get him five hundred feet up the trail like that? Zip. All right, so lines. either you believe, or you you and you have to go full on with it, or or you don't. <laughs> Are you accusing me of mocking this? Yeah, a little bit. I think when you think when I say he got jerked away, I mean it's, he's literally four years old, and someone grabbed him by the back of the shirt and just pulled him. He didn't, like, zip away off the mountainside, and everyone was like, oh, there he goes. <laughs> There's a flying child. Zip he lines. got jerked back behind a rock, and they couldn't see him anymore. Like, imagine a hidden hand pops up over and I get the it. idea, but you guys aren't getting what the forest people do. I You don't didn't know what the forest people were until I brought them up, so I think <laughs> you need to shut your <laughs> mouth. not even true. I'm the fucking master of the forest. Others say he simply stood up and walked away. When they hiked up near where they saw him, he was gone. They both reported it would be nearly impossible for a child to have gotten there without some sort of assistance from an adult. Alfred's parents had been holding out hope he was still alive, and this sighting convinced them that he had been kidnapped. New search crews were sent to hike to the spot where Eels had seen the child. Even with appropriate hiking gear, the search party had a tough time reaching the point where Alfred was spotted, known as Devil's Nest. Nothing came out of the search, but Eels' story was never discredited. Now at this point, what do you think was happening? Are the witnesses mistaken? Do the forest people adopt him? Uh, was he silently snagged by a cougar or something like that? It's hard to say. I'm not really sure. I don't want to completely discredit him because everyone took this so seriously, but there's no way a kid could have gotten up there on his own. And it's just strange. They didn't report it for like a week because they had no idea until they read the newspaper that he was even missing. And they were like, holy shit, that's the kid we saw. Is it possible that they had a supernatural occurrence and saw the ghost of a child? I guess it's possible, yeah. They might have also just seen a tree that looked like a child. Yeah, I did see a mailbox that I thought was a woman the other day. So that could have happened. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Could have been a mailbox. We thought that mailbox, and he's like, oh, man. I was like, that chick is looking thick. And then as he got up to it, it was a mailbox. Did you really say that? In my head, yeah. I was driving. I was by myself. You said it out loud? No, it was in my head. Okay. I was driving. I was like, oh, damn. 
I was like, look at that chick. And then uh, <laughs> I rolled up, and uh, as I got closer and closer, I realized that's that's a mailbox. You need to go back to the optometrist. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of it's kind of frightening. It was at night though, so <laughs> you still should Sup, go lady. back to the optometrist and get your eyes checked. Sup, lady, you outgoing? Once again, turning back to the area Alfred had disappeared from, the search party came across a bloody piece of gauze about a mile from Beelhart's cabin. Some sources say the gauze was actually found inside an abandoned cabin around a mile from where he vanished. Right before Alfred's mother had sent him out, she placed a piece of gauze on his blister and a bandage over it. This was more confirmation to the family that he was still alive. This is long before any kind of DNA testing was plausible, right? Pop it under a microscope, something, no? Okay. All blood is the same color. <laughs> right, but, you know, they say the blue blood, the blue bloods. That's not a thing. The FBI supposedly took the bandage for testing, but results were never released. The next day, a woman in Big Spring, Nebraska, called Colorado authorities, claiming she had seen a man walking down the highway there with a five-year-old blonde boy matching Alfred's description. Nebraska officers investigated and confirmed the child was not Alfred. No worries, boys. Just some other random dude walking a child down the highway. <laughs> Taking a child for a stroll. They were related, I believe. Oh, okay. So, it was normal. He was just brother-uncle or whatever they do in Nebraska. It's not offend everybody <laughs> in Nebraska. Hang on. I'll, I'll win him back. Corn Huskers. There we go. Nebraska Corn Huskers. That sounds right. Yeah. On July 12th, the park superintendent called off the search assigning only a select group to watch the rivers in case Alfred's body surfaced. The Beelharts' returned home to Denver, still fully believing their child was still alive. Four months later, a man knocked on their door and handed over a note before hurriedly walking away. The note, summed up by a local newspaper, read something along the lines of, We have gone out west. We are out of money. Your boy has not taken to us. Us being the people of the forest. We will return him to you if you secure $500 in old $1, $5, and $10 bills and place them in a kettle at the corner of East 32nd Avenue and Syracuse Street. Did they actually believe this, or did they identify the guy with the letter? And little known fact about the people of the forest is that they use old $1 and $5 bills for uh, tea. So, hence the kettle. More proof. Little known fact based in reality and uh, there was some kind of major issue with the money in 1933. And so in 1934, uh, let's see, 1933, they like put a limit on how much gold people could have. So in 1934, the Federal Reserve had a shit ton of gold. So they printed a bunch of 500000 and $5,000 notes. So it's interesting because, you know, this was pretty much around that time. And they wanted old one, five and $10 bills when they could have literally just gotten a $500 note. Interesting fact. I think it's probably easier to spend money when it's not I in wanted a $500 that. bill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I would have wanted that $500 bill. Katie also makes sense. And it probably is correct what Katie said, not what either of us said. Give me that $500 bill. But did they actually identify the guy with the letter? No, they never officially identified who he was or who wrote the letter. Okay. If they followed the instructions, Alfred would be returned to them 24 hours later. They decided to not involve police until the next morning, when they realized someone might be just trying to get money from them and not actually have their child. Weird thought. Together, they formed a plan that involved police setting a wide perimeter around the area specified in the ransom letter and lying in wait for the kidnappers. The kettle was placed at the specified corner, but inside was a note that said they would pay if there was proof the child was actually with them. Police watched as a car with a man and a woman inside pulled up to the intersection, and the man got out with a dog. As they watched, Alfred's father stood up and yelled for the man to stop. 
He panicked, throwing the dog back into the car and jumping in before speeding off. Because police had every intersection blocked off, they were stopped and taken in for questioning, where it was discovered that they were just taking their dog for a walk. That is a really good cover, though. This. Man and a woman in a car with a dog. Man jumps out to a place he wants to pick something up or rob. He has his dog with him, pretends like he's taking the dog out to take a shit, picks up the tea kettle, gets back in the car. Good plot. I think it's a good plot. No, it's not. It's a bad episode of Matlock. He didn't take the tea kettle. He just got out of the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah the because... whole setup is out of the 80s Well, because drama. the dude shouted. Hey, Turned you! Down. Put down that golden kettle, boy! I have questions for you, sir! Something like that. Get he literally paper just hair. said stop. Stop! Stop, thief! Kettle man, please! Get your papers here. All right. Not everybody in 1938 talked like they were newsies. All right. <laughs> the case was handed over to the FBI, who announced they believed the child was no longer alive, and their goal was to find who wrote the note. After this, the story abruptly ends. No one knows what happened to four-year-old Alfred Beelharts, but there has been plenty of speculation. Some believe he did in fact drown in the river, and his body was swept away to somewhere inaccessible to the search party. Others, like his family, believe he was abducted. People like David Politis believe something more sinister and much more paranormal are involved. You can find his self-published books, Missing 411, where he discusses missing persons in all national parks, on eBay for around $60 a piece if you're truly interested in his conspiracies. Quote-unquote conspiracies. Quote-unquote. <laughs> I did not put any quotes in there. I know. There's no quotes. I just called them conspiracies. Okay. Is it possible that he was just abducted by a poor fish market porter from London? No. Are you sure? I am positive they would have heard someone if someone walked up behind 12 On a people mountain. Yeah. and was, took a child. He was taken back to work in his father's fish porter house until he discovered his love of acting was... to be a knight and then someday, many years later, to play Bruce Wayne's butler named Alfred in the Batman movies. It was Michael Caine. That is a stretch. That is the most... I feel like David Politis's theories <laughs> are more legitimate than that. His theories, though, are just more him being like, we don't know what happened, but potentially this. Yeah, that's exactly what I just said. Why didn't you pick Michael Caine of all people? Because he, he played, played Alfred, the best Alfred. So it... I, you're, I don't like it. You said to have my mind blown, but here's the reason I don't like it. Alfred Pennyworth is not Michael Caine. That's next. <laughs> you don't have a conspiracy. No, mine was so much better than anything. Rory okay, could you, ever you say. okay? Um, it's really sad that this child probably fell into the river and drowned, and they couldn't find his body, and they probably will never find his body because at this time it's probably either smashed into a million pieces or eaten or whatever happened. I'm, I'm sure he just fell and either got knocked out, and they wandered past him until they went and found the police or whatever, and. Or he fell, fell was incapacitated out of exposure in a cranny nook somewhere where they couldn't reach. Or he landed in the river and they were not fast enough to catch his body at any of the choke points, including beaver dams. At least someday an archaeologist will find it. Yeah, like an alien archaeologist, maybe. What? <laughs> there was a park ranger that actually worked 
I think, in Rocky Mountain National Park when this happened, and he said that he basically took a backpack and he filled it with rocks to weigh approximately what Alfred would have weighed, and he tossed it in the river, and they never found it. Ha, huh, yeah, that sounds about right. That's interesting. <laughs> it's like 1938, and, <laughs> hey, hey, Walter, what you doing with that backpack? I got a theory. Just sinks to the bottom. He's like, now we'll go find it. He goes wandering off. Because uh, the buoyancy of a child and the buoyancy of a backpack full of rocks are 100% not the same. Yeah, it was mainly just to see if there was areas of the river that they were searching and still not finding something, uh, which it, they were. The uh, noise of a river when you're walking next to it is actually fairly dramatic. Like, it's fairly loud depending on how fast it's going. And if you heard a splash, you wouldn't yeah. think you, twice about it. Yeah, especially if it was already loud and you didn't necessarily hear a loud splash. It was more of a curb plunk, hit my head, shooting down the river. His parents were likely the only ones listening for stuff like that, not the nine children between them. Yeah. So. I remember. I imagine nine children were all off in their own little headspace. And probably talking and also yeah. adding noise to the situation. Definitely. None of his fucking siblings noticed. That's the fucked up part. Well, how, do you have eyes in the back of your head? Yeah, but I would have turned around to punch my little sibling and been like, oh, he's not there. Well, that just makes you a shitty brother. We don't know how far apart they were. He could have been okay. 10 feet from so, somebody else in the front of him. The Four Corners crime cast consensus is that Alfred is Michael Caine, right? Yeah, that's it. Michael Caine, Alfred, that's not getting cut. Continue, Kitty. And that's going to do us for Alfred. What? What's the next story you got, Kitty? This next one is Joseph Halpern. Jim Halpert? Yeah, I knew that was coming. <laughs> on August 15, 1933, 22-year-old Joseph Halpern had been camping with his parents and friend Sam Garrick, who had been on a road trip from Chicago, having already stopped in South Dakota and Yellowstone National Park before arriving at Rocky Mountain National Park. So they were just hitting all of the national parks. Basically. Which we've already determined is a good way to disappear. He and Sam, or J.H. Garrick in some reports, left Joe's parents back at camp and drove to another area of the park, planning to hike to the top of Flat Top Mountain. Why Why was he J.H. Garrick? I, I honestly have no idea. I just, it was harder to verify news stories back in 33. It's just interesting because Joseph Halpern is J.H. Once at the peak, Joe wanted to continue, but Garrick had had enough for the day and wanted to return to camp. I can appreciate the competitive nature because no one wants to say that their hiking trip peaked at the top of Flat Top Mountain. It's a flat top. It's not a peak. You didn't have to explain it. <laughs> well, you can cu cut the explanation. Joe decided to hike Taylor Peak alone, and they agreed to meet at a specified spot later that evening. Don't split up, buddy system. The last time Garrick saw Joe was around 2.30, heading up the trail to Taylor Peak. Another couple spotted him walking further up and confirmed Garrick's story. Around 6.30, Garrick arrived back at the trailhead, and he continued down to Joe's car. He waited there for three hours before realizing that something wasn't right. Joe should have been back, but there was absolutely no sign of him and the slim chance he could find his way back in the dark. At 10 p.m., Garrick contacted park rangers, and the search began. They walked up the trail to Taylor Peak, but saw no sign that Joe had been there. At daybreak, around 100 people expanded the search outward and continued to look for four days. After the first night, they assumed that they were looking for a body, as Joe was only wearing a thin shirt and pants when he had set out on the trail. Taylor Peak and its surrounding areas were around 12 to 13,000 feet in elevation, so nighttime temperatures dropped extremely low, with it even snowing on occasion during the search. Joe did have some food on him, along with a trail map for the area. 
On the fifth day of the search, August 20th, a newspaper from Halpern's hometown, the Green Bay Press-Gazette, reported that no one named Joseph Halpern existed anywhere they could find. We know now this was untrue, as Joe was an employee of the Yerkes Observatory in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and a college student. So there was no record of him anywhere? Like, he didn't even exist? There was. They just reported that he just didn't exist as, like, a publicity stunt, basically. Oh, so not like when he was taken by the Greys, they deleted all of his records type thing greys don't have the ability to actually do that they wouldn't want to allow a person to get back so they'd want them to be considered missing because then it just leads to speculation if someone just completely disappears people that knew him would also need to be involved in the disappearing you're such a moo fucker sure his parents also knew he was real, and they waited the entire five days of searching, praying their child would be found alive. By the end of the sixth day, the search was called off, but Joe Halpern's name was not forgotten. Four months later, Joe's father wrote to the park superintendent, informing him he reported Joe missing to police in case he had hit his head and wandered off back into society not knowing who he was. In 2018, Roland Halpern, Joe's cousin, reported to the Windsor Beacon that Joe's parents eventually became convinced Joe had left to begin a new life. They claimed that in 1934, a family friend came to visit and saw a photo of Joe in the home. The person was unaware what had happened to Joe and said that they'd recently seen him outside of a restaurant in Phoenix, Arizona. They mailed a photo of Joe to the restaurant owner, who gave it to the Phoenix Police Department. They took it to a local homeless camp, where multiple people said Joe had recently been there, but went by a different name. How common was it to just disappear and restart as someone else back then? I'm not sure. I assume it was relatively easy. Yeah, it sounds pretty easy. I mean, if they all they have to go off is of a picture to identify you. There's so many people in America, and they don't have a way to really... But did anyone really go to restart their life as a homeless person? You gotta start somewhere. Yeah. You can't just have a ton of money. You gotta rob a bank right start, off the bat. Started from the bottom, now you're here. That's <laughs> no. how you gotta do it. No. You rob a bank as your old persona, and then you ditch, and you get your new persona. But that immediately puts your picture out everywhere. It's not like this guy got reconstructive surgery. He just went missing. So Dude, back then, all they did was give themselves some doofy-ass haircut, and away you went. Another person wrote to the FBI claiming that Joe had changed his name to Louis Hollenbuck and joined the <laughs> Lewis Brothers Circus. That's what that's that's what I'm talking about. When I say when I, I'm going to go start my new life, it's not as a hobo. It's playing with the lions. It's Louis Hollenbuck and the Lewis Brothers Circus. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yet another said Joe joined the Civilian Conservation Corps and was working at a park in Alliance, Nebraska. Some even claim that he never left Rocky Mountain National Park, joining a civilian conservation corps camp there and maintaining his secrecy. Like Alfred, we'll likely never know what exactly happened to Joe Halpern in the park. The most likely explanation is that he became lost as the sun set and fell into a crevice or glacier, far from where searchers would ever find his body. Or, imagine something a little more sinister. Alright, night falls. Joe... Heading back to where he was parked, is disoriented by a bright light from the sky. A cigar-shaped metal craft looms behind the light, hunting. For friendship. They beam Joe up, party super hard with him. Unfortunately, those space rips out of the old brain eraser and six-pan galactic gargle blusters left Joe, not realizing who he was or where he lived. The only thing he could think was Phoenix. Joe spent the rest of his days chasing that same high from his night of partying with the Palladians, and thusly, they never found him. 
because he didn't know who he was. They found him outside of Garcia's. That was my grandpa's favorite. Oh my god! Stop <laughs> mentioning that. That is like probably the tenth time you have mentioned that in forty episodes, and we hardly ever talk about Phoenix. But I go. I'm going to go ahead and say that I'm probably correct, and uh, I know more you, than likely. I know you've got another one for us, right, Katie? Yeah, we have one more. This one is the most fucked up, in my opinion. Yeah, this one. This one is pretty fucked up. All right, so these next two missing men also disappeared from Flat Top Mountain. This mountain is like the Bermuda Triangle of the Rockies. Forty students from the hiking club of Texas A&M University took a bus ride to Rocky Mountain National Park on October 9, 1949, for a day-long outing. Once they'd arrived at the park, they broke off into groups, with 21-year-old Bruce Gerling and 20-year-old David Devitt joining a group of nine. As the 11 students reached a shelter spot on the trail, Bruce and David decided to briefly rest while the others continued, promising to catch up with them. Like Roy said, you can't split up. You gotta stay together, even if you didn't prepare your lungs to keep up with the more fit, aerobic people. It's like the pirate code. Any man that falls behind stays behind. As the nine continued to hike, a snowstorm formed quickly and without warning, a usual occurrence in October and at high elevations in Colorado. Visibility was extremely poor, and snow quickly covered the trail. The nine decided to push forward and were luckily met by the bus to take them back to campus at the end of the trail. They arrived at the college safely and did not realize until the next day that they had left Bruce and David on the mountaintop. Now, what college were they? Texas A&M. Are they staying at another college up there? I'm not sure. Okay. They were on vacation. They were on holiday, Roar. They just went up to the park for hiking for a day. So wait, they made it all the way back to Texas A&M? Or they arrived where they were staying? Which was at the base of the mountain. That's where they were expecting them to hike to. No, they made it all the way back to the college before they realized they didn't have these two people with them. That's insane. They made it all the way back to Texas. Yeah. Okay. You're supposed to check. If, was everyone get on the bus? Like, he, they're all here, right? We got. <laughs> how do you fucking miss two people? Both of the buddies from one buddy system are missing. Then obviously you got a problem. They attempted to make themselves feel less guilty by reasoning they had enough clothing and supplies to allow them to set a makeshift camp to weather the night, and they would find a way back to campus the next morning. Pretty dangerous assumption, I would say. Yeah, can you imagine? It's just like, uh, hey guys, uh, they they had they had, they had blankets, right? Yeah, they'll head six hundred miles back to Texas A and M. They had a pop up tent. Shit, they were born for this. Okay, this is their real proving grounds. They waited until late afternoon Monday to finally inform the proper authorities that they'd left two students in the park. Because the storm had continued after they left, the roads were impossible to travel on and park rangers had to wait until Tuesday to begin to search, 40 hours after the two were left on Flattop Trail. The snow had not let up, making it extremely difficult to look for any signs they were headed in the right direction. I'm going to go ahead and say that the chaperones, or whoever was in charge of that trip, Probably got fired. They were all adults, though. Yeah, I know, but someone was watching out for the students. It's a student trip, right? They're 20 and 21. I don't think so. I don't think you need a chaperone when you're, you can legally drink. Oh, well, I thought this was like a school-endorsed trip. Because how else would they know? When They're they part were... of a club, so it's like a club trip. It was a hiking club. Hiking club. So Someone's in charge of that club. Well, they were. They're it was not probably anymore. a student. After two days of searching, trained mountaineers from the RV Training Center Camp Carson were brought in. Over 150 volunteers joined the search, which continued until October 17th before being called off. 
They hoped that summer and melting snow would reveal their bodies, but no sign of Bruce Gerling and David Devitt have ever been found. Their fate is likely the same as Joe Halpern. Crazy rock and roll alien party. And they fell into a glacier or a rock crevice, which quickly filled with snow, killing them either by suffocation or hypothermia. Now, what if, just what if, bear with me here, the earth is flat, and the edge of the earth is flat top mountain, and these people just got a little too close to the edge, trying to catch a peek over, and now they're among Mars' first batch of people. So are you saying you're a flat earther? I'm not, I'm just saying that this could be a theory. It's not, though. You would have to believe the Earth is flat, then. I mean, I'm that would not make you subs- a flat earther. I'm not subscribing to this theory. I'm just saying that it could be a theory. Why? Why do they call it flat top mountains? Does it have a flat top on it? Or I is assume it just so. Kind of looks like a dude with a flat top. I don't. <laughs> I'm pretty sure these two guys uh, probably did get snowed in and suffocated. More than likely, yeah. I don't. F- I feel like they were part of a hiking club. Not necessarily real rugged-ass mountain men. Well, Kitty, is that going to do it for our uh, missing persons of the Rocky Mountains? That is it for now, yes. We might come back to it. Because there's lots, and we don't even know them all. Yep, I'm just going to make stories up and present them to you like they're truth. That's what I do with all my theories. You're a terrible liar, though, so I could probably pass off some pretty good stories. I know I could. You guys could probably both have me believe in some stupid shit. That's neither here nor there. Literally, let's not do that here or there. So do you really think that there's anything supernatural that went along with these? There could be any other explanation besides they're probably dead somewhere in the mountain? Yeah, I think they're somewhere dead on the mountain, and it's somewhere that we can't reach. There's a lot of people, like David Politis says that you can't go missing in a national park without someone eventually finding your body. I don't think that's true. I don't. It's not true. You can fall into so many tiny little cracks and crevices, and by the time they maybe pass over you, they're you're mush. Plus, there's like fissures. There's, there's exactly yeah. There's like uh, small little canyons. There's dry creek beds. There's what are the things that geese, geysers? There are not that many there, geysers. There's geysers. There. You can fall in a geyser, and it'll never. We're not. We're not talking about up. Yellowstone. I'm just saying parks in general. There's a lot of people that go missing in these national parks. And you should not You should stay away from Yellowstone for sure, from the geyser itself. Like, don't look in. Okay. There's animals that can eat you too and carry your body in every which direction. Yeah, anywhere they so, want to. Especially small children. I mean, an eagle can carry, what, 30 pounds? So <sighs> they can Ooh, carry you off. got to- swiped by an eagle? I don't think it would be it. silent if he got swiped by an eagle. Like just, eagle's not going to straight crash into a kid and kill him instantly. Yeah, so there's definitely... But if he's in an eagle's nest... Places where bodies can go, he would have screamed. If an eagle picked him up by the shoulders, he would have screamed, and they would have turned around and seen him. Anyway, so what were you saying, Katie? There's plenty of places in national parks where your body can end up that we would never find you. Unless you're looking at the exact right time, in the exact right place, and the weather is perfect for everything to be clear. So, there's tons of bodies out there. We'll uncover them eventually, I assume, but obviously not anytime soon. Yeah, I'm probably, I'm pretty sure that we'll find that possibly these people have been located or seen by someone, but not necessarily turned in, or have seen 
someone's seen signs of their body or anything like that, but doesn't mean that they're going to immediately know that it's these people. They can take a wild ass guess. Yeah. And the, the book mentioned a lot that with global warming, a lot of the glaciers in Rocky Mountain are starting to melt and that's where probably a lot of these bodies are. So more than likely they'll melt eventually and we will find a lot of bones. Raining bones. It's going to be like a apocalypse. A water park of bones. Just sliding down a river of water. Christians are going to lose their shit. It's going to be like poltergeist when they dug up the pool. You didn't move the bodies. So I think that's going to do it this week for our missing persons of the Rocky Mountain National Park. As always, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, feel free to send us an email at fourcornerscrimecast at gmail.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash fourcornerscrimecast, on Instagram at fourcornerscrimecast, and on Twitter at fourcornerscrime. And give us a rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify. Check out our website, fourcornerscrimecast.com. That's F-O-U-R cornerscrimecast.com. Head over there for a full episode list or to send any ideas you might have for an episode. Or if you just want to get your free sticker from our merch store, you can put that in your cart, enter the code bingo bango at checkout, and we will ship it out to you 100% free. So stay away from flat top, hilltop peak this year, this week. Ooh, flat top, hilltop peak this week. And uh, we'll see you all next week. Can I say if you want my, my friend code for Animal Crossing, message to Facebook? <laughs> you don't want to just put it out for the whole world? Oh, I don't have it on me right now. Okay. But message to Facebook and we can go to each other's islands. Fish together. Mm-hmm. All right, guys. We'll talk to you next week. See ya. Adios, motherfuckers. You literally cannot say the word Phoenix without you talking about that fucking restaurant. Okay, it was a Phoenix restaurant, to be fair.